0: Amen. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us through what you say in the Bible to help us live in the victory that you have purchased for us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Every once in a while, you see one of those stories on the news about incompetent criminals and the silly mistakes they make when they're trying to do a crime. And there was a story a few months ago about a man who decided to steal a purse And he'd never committed any kind of crime before. This was his first. So he's a little bit inexperienced. So when he grabbed his first purse and started to run, he made one mistake. He looked behind him to see if anyone was following him. And he ended up running into a brick wall at the end of the road, which didn't hurt him too badly, but it did knock him out just long enough for the police to come and arrest him. So his career as a criminal literally hit a dead end before it even begun. I wonder this morning if some of you ever feel that way that you have run into some kind of a brick wall, that you are in some kind of a dead-end situation and there is absolutely no way out of it. Maybe you failed at something and doesn't seem like there's any chance of recovery. Or maybe you have some kind of destructive habit that you can't quit. Maybe it's a marriage that's on the rocks or health problems or financial struggles. The Easter story that we celebrate today is all about the dead-ends in our life and what God does with them. And it teaches us two things about dead ends. And the first is this. It teaches us that dead ends are real and they hurt. The first sentence of the Easter story says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. That is a sentence that is all about dead ends. Three days earlier, these same women had seen Jesus beaten and crucified and then put inside a tomb that had been sealed with a stone that probably weighed over 1,000 pounds. That is a dead end. It is the apparent failure of Jesus' ministry. It is about suffering, sin, shame, death. The Easter story shows us that dead ends are real and they hurt. Now, that might seem kind of obvious. It might be, you might be thinking, well, duh, pastor, you know, yeah, I get that. But I don't think it's so obvious because I think our culture denies dead ends and I think we personally deny the dead ends in our lives. We don't like to face them. If we fail at something, we usually try to cover it up, pretend everything's okay. If we feel insecure, we try to hide it by getting a bigger house, bigger car, bigger job. If we're struggling with some kind of addiction or sin, we don't admit it, sometimes even to ourselves. We just try to ignore the dead ends in our life. And, of course, all of us face the ultimate dead end, which is death. And I think our culture denies that particular one more than almost anything else. I mean, just look at all the stuff in our culture. We've got plastic surgery to keep us looking younger, all kinds of exercise programs, all kinds of diets, all of them unpleasant. (laughs) And in spite of all of that, scientific research has shown that the human mortality rate is hovering right around 100% these days. You can run, but you can't hide. My wife says that when she gets to a certain age, she's just going to accept the inevitable and go on an all-pastry diet. (laughs) Isn't that a diet you'd like to be on, right? Apple pie for breakfast, cream pie for lunch. Sounds great to me, right? You got to go. Go happy. Death, failure, suffering, shame, insecurity. We deny all the dead ends in our culture and in our life. Now, we didn't used to. There was a time when we we would face those as a culture more squarely, especially death. Think about, for instance, the common bedtime prayer that parents used to say with their kids, the one that I learned when I was growing up. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. There's a cheery thought for kids, right? (laughs) The second verse is even worse. Did you know there's a second verse? Our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span. And cruel death is always near. So frail a thing is man. Night, kids. Pleasant dreams. (laughs) That is a tough bedtime prayer, right? But it tells an important truth. There are dead ends in life. And all of us face them and they hurt. And the promise of Easter is that Jesus understands the dead ends we face because he faced them too. Death, suffering, failure, shame. That's what the cross is all about. And that's good news. Because if you're really hurting, if you're really suffering, you want someone who's going to understand what you're going through. Not someone who's going to give you a lot of pat answers and trite cliches. You know, buck up, little buckaroo. The sun will come out tomorrow. A penny saved is a penny earned. You don't want to hear that stuff, right? You want someone who's going to understand what you're going through. Dead ends are real. They hurt. But what Easter shows us is that Jesus understands our pain because he's been there too. Now, if it stopped there, that would be good news. But it wouldn't be great news. And that's why Easter teaches us one more thing about dead ends. And that is that while dead ends are real, they do not have the last word. The second verse of this story couldn't be more different than the first. In the first verse, the women came expecting to find a sealed tomb with a corpse inside. That's a dead end. That's verse 1. Verse 2 is the exact opposite. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they didn't find the body of Jesus. Jesus had been raised. Death, failure, suffering, shame, all those dead ends had taken their best shot, but they didn't win. They didn't have the last word. God did. Anyone here know who Mel Blank is? He did the voice for a lot of Looney Tunes cartoons and he did Porky Pig as well. And do you remember what Porky Pig would say at the end of every cartoon? <laughs> that's all, folks, right? Well, Mel Blank died a few years back. And guess what his family put on his tombstone? <laughs> that's all, folks. Well, that's one way to look at dead ends that we face, right? That's all, folks. Game over. Might as well give up. But Easter gives us a different response. Easter doesn't say that's all, folks. Easter says he has risen. He has risen indeed. Easter shows us that the dead ends in life do not have the last word. God does. And God can always bring life out of death, good out of evil, victory out of defeat. That's his specialty. I grew up on a dead end street and at the end of it there was this giant field. Right before we got to that field there was this big sign that said dead end. But in retrospect I don't think that sign was very accurate. Because that field was where I spent all my time. And there was a lot of life in that field. I spent a lot of time doing things like building forts and playing hide-and-seek. And And in the winter, we'd go sledding in the field. And in the spring, there was a pond there, and, and we'd get tadpoles out of the pond. It wasn't a dead end at all. There was a lot of life in that field. What Easter shows us is that with Jesus, dead ends aren't really dead ends. They're just the place where the street ends and the field begins. And there's a lot of life in the field. Easter means that with Jesus, marriages on the rocks can be transformed. Health crises can be redeemed. Even if we're not cured, God can use them for good. Even death isn't the end because just like Jesus rose from the grave, if we know Him, we'll rise too. Now, that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. They do. And it doesn't mean that God is always going to magically fix all of our problems. Sometimes He does. But even when He doesn't, He redeems them, and He always brings good out of everything that we face. That's the good news of Easter. And that's what those women discovered that first Easter morning. And it was such good news, there was only one thing they could do. They started running, and they went and told everyone they could about it. And they went and told Jesus' disciples. And what did those faith-filled men of God do with that information? They didn't believe it. The text says, it seemed to them an idle tale. And that may be how some of you feel today. The promise of Easter sounds good, but it seems to you an idle tale, a myth, or maybe a metaphor for hope, but not something that happened in history, and certainly not something that can happen in your life. Some of you may be thinking, there's no way that God can do anything with my dead ends, my broken marriage, my stalled career, my family problems. God can't do anything good with those. Well, he did then, and he can today. You know, there are plenty of reasons to believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Things like, why would the disciples die, insisting they saw him alive again? People will die for a lot of things, but not something they know to be a lie. If it's made up, why were women the first witnesses of the resurrection? In a culture where women were considered pathological liars and their testimony wasn't admissible in court, if you were making that up, you wouldn't have had women the first resur- uh, first uh, witnesses. You'd have had some guy there. There are some good reasons to believe that this really happened, and I'd invite you to check them out if you don't know those reasons. A good book to start with would called, is called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an atheist journalist who set out to disprove the resurrection and ended up believing in it and became a Christian. Read The Case for Christ. Because if Jesus really was raised from the dead, well, then that changes everything, doesn't it? And in order to be intellectually honest, you need to consult all the evidence. But the real way that we know Jesus is raised from the dead is by what he can do in our lives. So if you do know Jesus, this Easter I'd invite you once again to give him all the dead ends in your life and see what he can do with those over time. And if you don't know Jesus, well, I'd encourage you to try him out. Pray to the Jesus that you don't believe in. What do you have to lose? Simply say to him, I'm tired of this or that dead end in my life. I'm giving it to you, Jesus. If you're real, help me see that. Pray that prayer. Start to do a few of the things he tells us to do in the Bible. Maybe come to church once in a while to get to know him better. And see what he does with those dead ends over time. Maybe not instantly, but over time. Try Jesus for one year and see if he doesn't become real to you. There's a man in this church, I'll call him John, whose parents went through an ugly divorce when he was in high school. And John and his sister ended up bouncing back and forth between different relatives and At one point, they ended up getting in a huge fight with their mother and completely cut her off. That relationship was completely dead. And eventually, they wound up living with their dad and stepmother in Los Angeles. Well, one night, a man known as the L.A. Night Stalker found an unlocked door in their house and let himself in and beat John's sister with a tire iron as she was sleeping. She ended up with over 500 stitches in her head. That is about as bad as it gets. What's odd, though, is that whenever either John or his sister tell this story, they usually say that in a strange way this is one of the best things that ever happened to us and that they at no point felt abandoned by God. They knew always that God was there. For starters, even though the night stalker usually raped and killed his victims, he didn't do either to John's sister. And that night she happened to be sleeping on her stomach, which protected her from even worse injuries. And then for some reason their stepmom woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom And that scared the Night Stalker, so he ran out an open window. He'd never been scared off before in any of his other attacks, but for some reason that night he was scared off. And after John's sister recovered, she and John didn't want to live in that house anymore, too many bad memories, and the only place they could go to live was with their mother and their stepdad, who they hadn't spoken to for a long, long time. And John says that living with them turned out to be the best time that they'd ever had as a family. He and his sister were able to reconcile with their mom, And John, who was 18 at the time, forged a great relationship with his stepdad, and to this day his stepfather is his best friend, and they talk to each other at least once a week. And at the time, John had been accepted to a university in L.A., but after the attack he just went out of California, so he applied to one other school, Whitworth, which is a Christian college in Spokane, and that helped him grow in his faith with Christ. He met his wife there, which led him to this church here. And eventually the Night Stalker was caught and put in prison. And a few years after all of that happened, John and his whole family were invited to a party to celebrate the retirement of the detective that had caught the Night Stalker. And at the end of the party, for some reason, no one knows why, the detective called his son up to the microphone. And then he also called John's sister up to the microphone. And he said to the whole crowd there, don't you all think that these two would make a great couple? which I'm sure was very awkward for everyone. They'd never met before, right? But the detective's son thought that was a pretty good idea, so he asked her out. And now they're married, they have three kids, and her father-in-law is the cop who put her attacker in jail. And to this day, both she and John say, we knew that God was with us every step of the way. And John says, you cannot convince me that all of those good things coming out of that tragedy were coincidence. It had to be God. There's a lot of dead ends in that story. Because God gave us free will, we can cause all kinds of horrible things to happen. People do things like attack innocent people. But when those bad things happen, and they do, God is always there. Bringing good out of evil... Hope out of despair, life out of death, if we will just let him. As John was telling me this story, he said, you know, it's a weird, awkward, painful story. But it also has a lot of hope. And because of that, it's a story that has to be told. Just like the Easter story. It's a weird, awkward, painful story about a creation so sinful that we murdered our creator. But it also has a lot of hope. And that's why it's a story that has to be told. So what are the dead ends in your life today? And how can you give them to Jesus so that over time he can bring life out of death? There's a story about the great violin player, Isaac Perlman. And during one of his concerts, once a string broke on his violin and made this huge cracking sound. The whole audience could hear it. So the conductor stopped the music expecting Perlman to put on a new string and he waited for him. But instead, Perlman signaled to the conductor to keep going and then Perlman played the entire concert with only three strings on his violin. And as he went along, he modulated, he improvised, he recomposed the piece in his head, even tuned and retuned the strings as he played. And when he was done, the audience went crazy. It gave him you know, cheering, screaming, gave him a huge standing ovation because there had been, there'd been no drop-off in the quality of the music at all. In fact, the quality of the music was even better with the missing string because it showed what a genius Perlman was. And after the applause had died down, Perlman stepped to the microphone and he said to the audience, it is my gift and my heart to make music with what remains. That's Easter. You may feel like something has snapped in your life and everybody knows it, but it is God's gift and his heart to make music with what remains. And the music isn't inferior because of the thing that's missing. In fact, the music is all the better because it shows the genius of the the master. That no matter what happens, no matter how bad things get, no matter how dark the night is, God can always make music with what remains. What the death and resurrection of Jesus shows us is that God always has one more note to play than the devil does. A man named Moses obeys God and leads a group of slaves out of Egypt And they end up trapped at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army charging hard behind them. And the people say to Moses, what were you thinking bringing us out here to die? And God probably, or Moses probably said to God, God, what were you thinking bringing us out here? Bad military planning, God. Obviously, he didn't go to West Point. But the master had one more note to play and divided the sea and they walked across on dry ground. A little boy named David is up against a huge giant named Goliath and Everybody thinks it's impossible because the giant is literally twice the size as David. But the master had one more note to play. And David kills the giant with just one smooth stone. When Jesus was crucified, I'm sure Satan and his cronies did a little victory dance in hell. Probably saying, yeah, we convinced Adam to sin and now we've killed God in the flesh, Satan too, God zero. But the master had one more note to play. And he raised Jesus from the dead and then the scoreboard read, God infinity, Satan zip. The marriage that is breaking down and you're ready to give up, don't. The master has one more note to play. The doctor pronounces the dreaded C word and you find out that you have cancer. The master has one more note to play and will either cure you or bring good out of it. The finances look bleak. You're fighting with your kids. Your parents are aging. You're out of work. You're lonely. The master always has one more note to play. And not even death can stop you because the grave can't hold you if you know Jesus. The Master always has one more note to play until in the end the last note that is played in your life and in all of human history will be God's note and God's note alone. The Master always has one more note to play because the promise of Easter is that He is risen. Not just as an idea, not just as a metaphor, not just as a story. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Glory, hallelujah, and all God's people said, Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing hope that you give us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live out of that hope in victory even when times are tough and we'll give you the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.